You're listening to AIB Market Talk with our latest financial market update. Hello and welcome to our special Market Talk podcast with AIB Private Banking. I'm Jane Kavner from AIB Corporate Treasury and I'm very pleased to be joined by Conor Egan, Senior Investment Manager with AIB Private Banking and John Fahey, AIB Senior Economist today. John Connor, a very warm welcome to you both. We have a lot to talk about in a short time, so John, if I might go straight to you first. When last we spoke, there were some cautious signs of improvement for the global economy starting to emerge. Did these materialise through quarter three? Yeah, so as we move through quarter three, the raft of survey data indicated improvement in the quarter. Now, we don't have official growth data yet for the third quarter, but suggestions are that we did see improvement. So if you think back when we talked previously, we had, you know, a pretty severe contraction in the first half of the year. It was especially and exceptionally deep in the second quarter, evident in the declines of 10 to 20 percent in GDP across many of the main developed economies. But what we have seen then is economies have shown resilience by rebounding strongly over the summer months. This was coinciding with the lockdown restrictions being eased and are lifted in many of those advanced economies. But what I would say is that, you know, as we've moved through quarter three and as we get into Q4 now, the survey data such as the uh, manufacturing and services PMIs and other kind of key sentiment, both consumer and business indicators and labour market indicators, do suggest that there may be some loss of momentum. And that's happened against the backdrop where we're seeing coronavirus positive tests and cases continue to act as a headwind in an increase in cases. Although it is important to note that hospitalizations and daily deaths are relatively low compared to earlier in the year. But what we are seeing is governments reacting to these increased case numbers and positive test results by introducing, reintroducing some restrictions. So that is going to pose as a headwind to growth as we move in towards the end of the year and add some uncertainty to that. But Q3, yes, what we saw in terms of the high frequency survey data was an improvement in activity across a broad range of indicators and also in terms of labour market indicators, some improvement in, in the jobs picture there as well. Thanks, John. Connor, turning to you and following on from what John has just outlined, I read with interest then in your quarterly market review and outlook that some markets hit impressive all-time highs during quarter three, particularly stateside. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, Jane. So what we saw over quarter three was we saw, say, world equity markets went up about 3% in euro terms, but you had US markets like the S&P 500 up about 9% and even stronger performances by the technology-based index and NASDAQ. So on the 18th of August, you actually saw the S&P 500 recover all its losses from Q1 this year. And basically, it set an all-time high then and continued to set all-time highs during August. It did come off a bit in September, but it's basically still showing a respectable 4% gain year-to-date. As I mentioned, the Nasdaq did particularly well over the quarter. It was up about 11%. What you did see just overall in terms of U.S. markets was that a couple of factors. So you had, as John alluded to, a kind of a good recovery in economic data in the US over the quarter. So that obviously was favorable to stocks. And also the aggressive stimulus measures that were put in place by the US government was also greeted positively by markets. In terms of some kind of particular companies, obviously maybe some of the technology companies which typically would be seen to potentially benefit from the kind of work from home or lockdown measures did well. So you saw the likes of Apple were up 27% over the quarter. Amazon were also up about 14%. And I suppose the big the big winner were the likes of Zoom, which obviously probably everybody's sick of using or has used this year. So it was up 80% and it's up about 600% year to date. So particularly strong there for US stocks. Thanks, Connor. 
just going back to you, John, however, there are still some concerns out there, I think it would be fair to say. Has the balance of risk through quarter three improved or disimproved? Uh, so I think when we look at the balance of risks, it's still tilted to the downside. So I mentioned there that, you know, some of the survey data now for, you know, as we ended Q3 and early indicators for Q4 do suggest some loss of momentum in the recovery. And that's against the backdrop, as we said, about, you know, increased case and positive test results triggering fresh restrictions. And the key thing is, is that what's happening here is that business confidence and consumer confidence is being damaged and that uncertainty is acting to a headwind. So as we look at the outlook, interestingly enough, though, a lot of the major international forecasting agencies have actually revised up their global growth forecast because the contraction in growth in the second quarter in some cases even though it was double digit was not as severe as had been envisaged so the OECD has been the most recent of the major international forecast agencies to release updated forecasts and its global growth forecast now sees the global economy contracting by four and a half percent this year previously it was pencil in six percent contraction it's still projecting growth of five percent in 2021 but it does note as do many other major international agencies and even domestic central banks that you know doubts over the recovery persist and the risks are to the downside and there's a number of factors behind that we're obviously seeing the virus is proving fairly persistent so even though the hospitalization levels and debt rates are, are relatively low compared to earlier in the year nonetheless it is coinciding with a reintroduction of restrictions and these containment measures impact economic activity and they impact consumer confidence and business confidence there's the other issue too over the scarring effects you know rising business failures bad debts permanent job losses it's hard yet to quantify the extent of this but it is something that is going to weigh on the recovery and confidence levels remain subdued and uncertainty does prevail. So, you know, when we look to the outlook, it still is a partial recovery, even though we did see improvement in the third quarter. And it's likely to be two to three years at the earliest before all the major advanced economies ha have recovered to the extent of where they were before the crisis hit. So I suppose you could phrase it as it's a long road ahead to a full recovery. And because of that, you know, central bank policy is going to remain very accommodative or may require more stimulus both in the monetary policy front but also from governments in terms of fiscal stimulus to help aid the recovery against these challenges that lie ahead. Thanks John, we'll watch that with caution. Connor, coming back to you, you mentioned how well the markets performed in quarter three and in particular the technology sector but is there an argument possibly that equity markets may have gotten ahead of themselves and by that I mean are you expecting to see the markets continue to perform as strongly as they did in Q3 into quarter four? Yeah, I suppose this year has obviously been a kind of a volatile year for markets. So we saw very poor performances in, in quarter one, and obviously we've seen a very strong recovery since then. As I mentioned, US markets are on a relative basis particularly strong. So we're seeing the S&P positive year to date, but that wouldn't be the case with the likes of European markets, which are down close to double digits year to date. So some of that performance in markets has been more geared towards the US than Europe. But I suppose in terms of global indices, the U.S. market makes up about 60% of that, so it is obviously a big determinant of how global indices do overall. I mean, in terms of our outlook, we would be sort of cautiously optimistic is probably the way to sum it up. We do see room for volatility in markets in the short term. We've got a few things that are happening, U.S. elections, the ongoing Brexit negotiations, and obviously the unfortunate continued high and increasing, in many cases, number of coronavirus cases. I suppose the key thing there for us is that, and maybe there's some element of reassurance we're getting, is that, as John alluded to, because thankfully the deaths and the hospitalizations are still at a relatively low level compared to the peak, economies aren't having to lock down 
like they did in sort of that kind of April, May time. So thankfully, economic growth can still happen. So, and obviously that's positive for corporate earnings. So as I said, we're still cautiously optimistic. The reasons for that probably are maybe when you kind of look at the high level factors that should be supportive. So you're looking at things like historic low interest rates. So that tends to be positive for equities. As John alluded to, there's the likelihood of fiscal and monetary stimulus measures, which again would be positive for equities. And also we're seeing improving economic growth and that's kind of falling through to earnings. So we're seeing kind of earnings pick up, albeit from a a low level earlier this year. Another factor that's probably becoming more talked about and and thankfully seems to be kind of going in a positive trajectory is that we're seeing positive develops in terms of the coronavirus vaccine and also further advances in treatment. President Trump seems to be benefiting from those developments. So maybe I think the likelihood is we're going to see further positive advancements in terms of that in Q4 and that should be supportive for markets. Thanks, Connor. John, looking to the outlook for interest rates, we know that Europe is nowhere close to leaving the current low interest rate environment. However, since we last spoke, the indications are that the other major economies, and in particular the US, may also be in a lower interest rate environment for longer. Yeah, we had the uh, US Federal Reserve make a fairly substantial change to its policy framework. So what do I mean by that? Well, in terms of what it factors in, the metrics it looks at and the priority it gives when it makes its decision on the interest rate outlook. And basically what the US Federal Reserve has done, it has a dual mandate around inflation and employment growth in the economy. And it's now placing greater emphasis on the employment aspect of it rather than the inflation. So what does this mean? It means it suggests it's willing to tolerate potentially higher inflation going forward until it achieves its employment objectives. So the net net of this from an interest rate outlook perspective in the US is, is rates lower for even longer. And you know that ties in, as you said there, what the ECB is and also with the Bank of England. If you look at futures contracts on markets, which give us an indication in terms of when the market thinks rates are going to go up, you know, across all those major central banks, it's the end of second half to the end of 2023 before there's any sort of, of rate hikes priced in from those central banks. And even two years on from that, if you look at where the Fed futures contracts are, you know, by the end of 2025 at the moment, the market's only pricing in that the Fed funds rate could only get towards 0.5%. So it's very much a lower for longer interest rate outlook. And that's just a factor of where we are at the moment, given that it's going to be a partial recovery, as we discussed, and just a high level of uncertainty that persists means that central banks are fully aware the fact that they're likely to have to maintain very loose monetary policy for a number of years to help support the economies as we deal with the fallout from this crisis and the challenging outlook. I suppose, Connor, that poses a challenging outlook too for markets, given the fact that, you know, where we are in terms of the lower for longer, the search for yield, and then you add into the mix there too, the upcoming presidential elections between now and the end of the year, potential for that uncertainty create some difficulties on markets, but also maybe some opportunities. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think the US presidential election will, will definitely be looked at because obviously there's quite possibly a change in administration that, that's likely to happen. I think certainly if you believe the polls or the pundits, then I think the view seems to be that, that you're going to have a democratic win and a Joe Biden presidency. And it's, there's obviously been a lot of talk about what that might mean for markets. What has been sort of probably signalled by the Democrats is that they're going to raise the corporate tax rate. It's currently 21%, it'll probably maybe go to 28%, and they might also increase personal income taxes for the higher earners. And there's also talk about things like the minimum wage going up as well. So while these changes in terms of tax would probably be, would impact corporate earnings and, and maybe feed through to markets, I think there are a couple of mitigants that should be kept in mind at the same time. The first one is that 
tax increases are likely to be phased in maybe over a period of time rather than maybe in one tranche because given that with the ongoing coronavirus issues and while the US economy is improving well there is still some fragility there if the COVID cases keep ramping up and we have a lockdown so I think the Democrats will be kind of mindful not to derail that so any tax rise may be phased in over a period of time or of years so US corporates would have time to position themselves for that Another factor, and again, it has to be played out, is whether the Democrats win control of the Senate. So that's probably a close call at the moment as to whether they will or they won't. If they don't win control of the Senate, that probably maybe slows them down, restricts them a bit in terms of, of how tax raises that they can do. So that'll be watched in terms of the Senate majority. I think sometimes, Connor, does the market prefer a split between one party control in Congress or the control in the Senate? just so that nothing too major significant changes can happen the market kind of happy enough with that type of an outcome yeah no absolutely john i think that's what we've seen at the moment the republicans have the senate the u.s democrats have the uh, representative so i think because markets do don't mind that at all because yeah. it just as you said it means that changes can't be kind of ramped through very quickly it has to be more conciliatory and a negotiatory which takes a bit longer, which basically means markets kind of kind of react a bit more to it. So, so that's going to be watched carefully as to whether the Democrats effectively get a clean sweep or not. I suppose a positive factor for markets is that you'll probably see the Democrats engage in a lot more spending than what the Republicans traditionally would do. So that kind of spending, and also maybe you could also see in terms of a greater fiscal stimulus that they might do if they get elected as well, that obviously would feed through to the economy and would be positive for companies across the broad economy and maybe in particular sectors like construction, healthcare providers, maybe defence. So that element would definitely be greeted positively in terms of markets. I suppose other factors which I might also be supportive would be you might see maybe a less confrontational approach in terms of trade negotiations with the likes of China and the EU. Maybe that might improve the chances of a kind of a more comprehensive and long-term agreement being put in place with both parties. And also a kind of an interesting note I came across recently was that it did a study of market returns on the U.S. stock market between when you had a U.S. Democratic president and a Republican president. And it actually found the market returns were greater under a Democrat president than under a Republican. So who knows in terms of what's going to happen? It's not necessarily negative if Democrats win the presidency. Connor, we've seen before, obviously, the most recent election, the polls got it wrong to some extent. So if, if it was a return of the Trump administration, markets would probably still react Pretty positively to that as well, given that in terms of the pro-business policies there. Yeah, yeah. I think if Trump got elected, I think markets would quite possibly react positively. I think he's gone on record to say that he's that he wants to do further tax reductions. So that's positive for corporate earnings. So he's obviously painted himself as being very pro-business, pro-economic growth, make America great again. So obviously the, the S&P 500 tends to respond positively to that. So I, I think, yeah, if you see a Trump winning the presidency, while it currently maybe might be unexpected, I think markets would, would react generally positively to it. So from a client portfolio perspective, any either outcome in the US in terms of who wins the presidency could have upside to their portfolios? Yeah? Absolutely, yeah. I wouldn't treat the US presidency issue as being a concern for markets. Yeah. I think, you know, yeah. there's positives in terms of both in both parties if they win. You generate a lot of headlines, but they may not be a game changer. Exactly, a lot of media talk, but yeah. uh, maybe not so much change. Thanks, guys. And in light of that uncertainty that may lie ahead, Connor, I guess, what advice would you have for your customers? Yeah, our philosophy has always been to stay invested and to retain a kind of a long-term perspective. You know, I suppose the old adage is that it's always very hard to time markets. So while we might see a bit of volatility, as I alluded to, with those factors that are in play, in terms of trying to time to getting out and getting back in is very, very tricky. We saw that already this year where we had obviously the huge correction in quarter one. 
But then towards the end of March, we saw that very, very strong rebound. So any investor trying to really time that is it's extremely difficult and it's well nigh impossible. So we would always say that historically, equities over the long term have outperformed cash, they've outperformed inflation. So we, we would very much retain that long term perspective whereby investors stay invested, don't try to time markets and let their portfolios grow over the long term that should deliver returns in excess of cash and inflation. Thanks, Connor. In which case, I can summarise as I did at our quarter two review, which is diversified portfolios, stay invested and don't panic. Connor and John, I very much appreciate you joining me on the panel today and sharing your informed views, which are as always very interesting. It's an interesting quarter that lies ahead. And indeed, it'll be interesting to see how 2020 plays out. I'll be looking forward to discussing this with you again come quarter one, 2021. And just to let you all know, the quarterly investment market and review bulletin is available for download. My thanks to our customers and listeners for joining us in the podcast today. Don't forget, for those customers impacted, details of AIB support packages can be found at www.aib.ie forward slash COVID-19. And of course, stay close to all our latest podcasts by pressing the subscribe button to AIB's Market Talk on the podcast apps for iOS or Android. As always, stay safe and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of AIB Market Talk. Allied Irish Bank's PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. First Trust Bank is a trademark of AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Allied Irish Bank GB and Allied Irish Bank GB Savings Direct are trademarks used under licence by AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.